0: This is Mike Portnoy hanging right here with Michael's Record Collection.
1: Hello and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and with the people who love it. This is episode number 99, and I'm your host, Michael Citro. For this episode, I have a very special guest, drummer Mike Portnoy, who has been with dozens of bands, and that's not an exaggeration. He's got a new album out with the Winery Dogs. It's the band's third album, so it's appropriately titled Three, and it came out on February 3rd. I talked to Mike Portnoy about his background, about working with Neil Morris across multiple bands and projects, and about this new Winery Dogs album. Before we get to that just a quick reminder please visit michaelsrecordcollection.com for links to everything including my free weekly newsletter my patreon where you can find out what goodies and extras you can get for supporting this show starting at just two dollars a month and my social media accounts at mike's records on twitter and at michael's record collection on facebook instagram youtube and tiktok you can write to me at Collection at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Ask a question, tell me how you're doing, tell me where in the world you are, and uh, maybe give me some feedback. Okay, well, I can't wait to bring you my interview with Mike Portnoy, so here we go. Hello again, everybody. Time once again from Michael's Record Collection. I'm very honored to have with me drummer from the Winery Dogs and probably too many other bands to mention right now. Mike Portnoy is with me. Thank you for your time, Mike. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. So brand new album, Winery Dogs 3. You guys just keep doing it. You, Richie Kotzen, and Billy Sheehan just keep putting out great music. I wanted to, uh, to ask you a few questions about that. Obviously, some stuff about your past. I want to start out like I usually do by asking you, I know you just came out with 10 records that made a difference to you in your teenage years. What was your first favorite record? First one that really spoke to you? It's right here it's right here on real to
0: (laughs) real. nice yeah this was a a huge one for me as as a child i mean i i came out of the gates as a beatles fanatic uh so obviously all the beatles stuff like sergeant pepper well we got the props here so yeah i mean this was the first one i mean this sergeant pepper was released uh about six weeks after i was released (laughs) and um you know obviously the beatles stuff was was huge for me but I have to. Uh, I have to say, uh, the Who's Tommy was a, a big, big one for me, and uh, that was like my first experience with a concept album. And uh, you know, I've been a sucker for concept albums ever since.
1: Was your introduction to music your your parents' music collection? Is that how you s- sort of first gravitated towards it? It was my
0: dad. My dad was a uh, a huge, huge music fan and rock fan, and. Uh, literally from the day I was born, like I was saying, I was surrounded by the Beatles and the stones and the who, uh, and then came, you know, Bowie and Zeppelin a little later and yeah, but he, he introduced me to everything. And I was like the only, you know, 10 year old kid, uh, with like a record collection of like a thousand records, you know, by, by the time I was, you know, like 10 years old, I was just a, a, a huge, huge collector and rock fanatic just became obsessed with with music at a very very early age it was all my dad he was a disc jockey uh, as well in the early 70s so there was just constantly music going
1: yeah now when you started to decide i'd really like to play some of this stuff why drums why not guitar or or keyboards or saxophone or something else well i started on piano uh, piano (laughs) i created a new (laughs) instrument i started on
0: piano uh, and I remember in third grade, I wrote my first song on piano. It was a song called, Oh Yeah. And the music teacher, my third grade music teacher, like was so blown away by it. Like we ended up doing like a, uh, a showcase thing where he had me come up and play the song in front of the whole class and everything. And that was like my first claim to fame, but I don't know. Piano just wasn't rock and roll enough for me. It was too structured, it required too much discipline and all my favorite bands you know i i was always just listening to the drums and so i i inevitably gravitated to the drums it was just a lot more rock and roll a lot more physical uh just way more up my alley i can look into your eyes
1: I know you're a spark, the how this setup was for you did, did you have the drum set up in a garage or a basement what was the house structure like for for this? well when, when I was a
0: when I was really young like you know I was talking about like you know before I was 10 years old and stuff I uh it just had a little tiny Mickey Mouse drum kit in the house I probably got it you know when I was like three or whatever but uh one summer I went to visit my cousin down in Florida and he had a, a real drum set in his garage and the whole time we were visiting, he couldn't pull me off the kit, and uh, that's when uh, I guess my grandparents took note because they were there with me on that trip. And so, for my eleventh birthday, uh, my grandfather bought my, my first real drum set. I, you know, not real by today's standards, but you know, for a kid, you know, it was like a a Blue Sparkle Royce kit, like a th- three or four piece kit, and it was my first real kit. And and that was my, for my eleventh birthday, and I just spent years just you know getting around on the kit i kept it in my bedroom i was playing along to obviously i was into the who and zeppelin and stuff like that but then around that age i was really going through a heavy kiss phase so uh you know this around 77 78 and uh so i was playing a lot of kiss stuff on on the kit and you know just that was that was how i kind of learned my way around the kit with that early stuff and then later on once i became a teenager that's when the more progressive drummers and music kind of entered my life
1: yeah, I was enjoying that video of you uh, t- talking about the records that you enjoyed as a as a teenager and, you know, giving a shout out to guys like Peter Chris and Nico McBrain was uh, that spoke to me because that's kind of what I was into as well. So we uh, we move a little bit ahead in the programming here in, in the life that is Mike Portnoy's. And we ask w- at what point was there one point where you knew that you could make a living as a musician or did you start making a living as a musician before you had that epiphany?
0: Well, I stopped working a day job when Dream Theater signed our first record deal in 1988. And my day job wasn't really that significant. I was just like delivering Chinese food and, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. But uh, it was once we signed our first record deal and uh, started to just really focus on the band that I, you know, kind of just stopped working a day job and did that. But it really wasn't until many, many years later where I actually was seeing any money um luckily i had a lot of support in those early days uh from family and stuff to to allow me to be able to really focus on the band and the music and stuff uh but i i don't think i started to really make a living at this until dream theater's third album or so by the time we were doing awake and i was in my uh I guess late mid to late 20s at that point and uh you know my wife and I got married so it was around it was around that point where we actually were starting to make a living off of it and and uh and then luckily ever since then I have been but you know times have changed these days it's very very hard for for people to actually make any money off of uh, either record sales or touring it's 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 really very very difficult luckily I've been doing this for 30 plus years and already have a, an established name that I luckily can do that But man, if I was just starting off now in this day and age, I, I, you know, I don't know how how young musicians can make a living off of it financially. It's just so tough now.
1: Yeah, for sure. You have always been someone who stays busy. You, I think currently, do you actually know how many bands you've been in? Do you have that number somewhere? (laughs) Uh,
0: I do have a list somewhere. And I think it's something crazy, like 25 different bands or something like that. Currently, there's nine. I realized uh, there's currently nine bands that are, you know, at various stages of activity. Some, some inactive, some active. But yeah, there's uh, <laughs> we could do we could do the man. winery dogs, Sons of Apollo, Neil Morse Band, Transatlantic, Flying Colors, Metal Allegiance. I just played again with Twisted Sisters, so I guess that's back on the the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just did a tour with John Petrucci, so I guess you can count that as well and liquid tension experiments so yeah that's nine and then i actually just uh did a session with another project i guess that makes 10 (laughs) of various stages of active activity and inactivity
1: yeah very busy uh you just did a neil peart tribute with why why not please welcome mike portland to the stage about how did
0: uh, you get involved with that uh well uh one of the guys that organized that show is is a a guy named uh michael Mossback, who who was uh he was like head of security for rush and he was neil peart's writing partner for all those years uh so you know he was one of neil's closest people and i've gotten to know michael through the years as well uh through neil Mm -hmm. and uh when the idea of uh doing this came about michael hit me up immediately and uh told me what was gonna, what, what was going on and this band why why not was going to be the band playing and then we would you know, they would have all different various drummers sitting in with them uh and actually i'd seen why why not in california uh with michael and, and also chris stanky from uh sabian we went and saw them last year and they were just phenomenal i mean what what one of the best rush tribute bands i'd ever seen so anyway when the idea of this bubba bash thing came around uh he asked me if i would do it and being it was coming from him and he was, you know, one of Neil's closest people, I, 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 of course, wanted to honor Neil and get involved. And so, yeah, that's how it came about. And a few other people joined us and it was a it was a really great night. And those guys are tremendous. I mean, they nailed it. So uh, it was, uh, you know, a lot of focus on the drummers and uh, and, and us trying to pay ne- tribute to Neil. But really, so much credit needs to go to that band in uh, being so great at playing all the Rush tunes.
1: Yeah. And when putting you, up with us drummers, yeah. <laughs> when you you've been like we just talked about all the bands that you're in now, bands and some of the bands that you've been in previously. When you get involved with a new project, like the Winery Dogs or whoever, is there a moment where you where you sit around and discuss this is the kind of music we want to make, or is it the the fact of jamming together creates the kind of music you want to make? How does that work?
0: No discussion, uh, you know, in all these cases. But let's talk about specifically the Winery Dogs. And in, in the case of the Winery Dogs. Even when we first got together, the very first time Billy, myself and Richie sat down and played together, there was no discussion. Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. We literally got behind our instruments and just started jamming. And this is what fell out of us. But I think inevitably, you know, with the Winery Dogs, you're going to get that kind of bluesy, soulful, funky R&B vibe because Richie that's such a big part of what Richie does and he as the guitar player and the singer inevitably it's going to bring a big big part to the sound Mm -hmm. uh but Billy and I also are big big fans of like the power trio sound and all the classic rock bands of the late 60s and early 70s you know Vanilla Fudge and Grand Funk and The Who and Zeppelin so Billy and I kind of bring that to the equation and yeah that this just fell out of us and I'm glad it did because this was a style of music that I always loved you know, like we mentioned at the start of the show, I grew up listening to those those late 60s, early 70s bands. Uh, but I didn't really have an outlet for that with everything else I was doing. Everything else was either prog or metal. So when we got together to start the Winery Dogs, it was really refreshing for me to be tapping into this side of music, which I didn't really have in my arsenal, but it was a big, big part of my listening, uh, you know, Styles. You know, I listened to all kinds of music, uh, but I hadn't really had a band creating this kind of music. So I was really happy that we kind of went in this direction.
1: I have a question from one of my Patreon supporters. He also is a drummer and wants to know when you're immersed in one of these 30-minute transatlantic epics or Neil Morse epics, how do you make sure you keep your place? I mean, is it just repetition or in a it's, composition that long, how does it how does that uh, how do you keep track of where you're at?
0: I mean, it's just natural for me. It's uh, you know, I I had done I've been doing progressive technical music my whole career. And, you know, made a career for 25 years with Dream Theater playing pretty long songs, uh, you know, 10-minute songs, 15-minute, 20-minute tw- songs. Uh, so I I kind of was just very used to that format. Um, so I don't really have to think about it. And then I started working with Neil, and Neil's the king of that. You know, Neil and I, I think, have created, I don't know, 20 or 30 uh, different songs that are all over the 20-minute mark. It's just, you know, something that we both really – are very comfortable and feel very natural with. But in, in answer to your question, how do I do it? How do I keep track? I don't know, I don't know the answer. It's just naturally something that works for me. I, I do have a, a great elephant's memory and that's how I could go from band to band to band and have all this music stored up there and could just you know play with Twisted Sister one night and The Winery Dog's the next night and you know Neil Moore's band the next night. It's just embedded in my brain and I kind of just, I, I, I guess I'm uh, lucky to have that ability. Uh, but yeah, I don't know when, when you're creating these long songs. I mean, for a lot of people, it might be a a, a difficult thing. But for me, it's just it's always been very natural. OK,
1: fair enough. Uh, you mentioned Neil Morse. I got to, the opportunity to see, see the Neil Morse band on the great Adventour uh, when you're at this little place in Orlando called the Abbey and uh nice little place. It was jam packed. And it, it made me wonder, you know, you've you've played with Neil various incarnations uh flying colors transatlantic neil morse band and neil Morse solo on his records what is it about your style do you think and and neil's that that sort of just makes it such a good fit
0: we really do have a a, a great work in chemistry and personal chemistry as well uh i immediately gravitated towards neil the first time i heard uh the very first spock's beard album the light i heard it you know, before the rest of the world really knew it, I was like one of the first people to really be their cheerleader. And the first time I heard The Light, it just really spoke to me, his his style of writing. I think mainly because he's so great at these prog epics. You know, he could write these 30-minute epics, but at the same time, he has a great pop sensibility as well. And I love like the Beatles aspect. You know, we're both Beatles fanatics. And um, mm-hmm. I love the fact that, you know, it was all intertwined, you know. So you have the proggy stuff that's reminiscent of Genesis and Yes and Crimson, Pink Floyd. But then you also had this poppy side, like uh, with you know, like stuff like the Beatles and and uh, you know Beach Boys and you know Badfinger and all these kind of like classic pop sixties bands and sensibilities. So I love that he has both of those. You know, he he. It's something that just appeals to both of us. So we're just very much kindred spirits in terms of like that background and that, that, uh, that musical, you know, influence.
1: Yeah. Before I dive into the winery dogs questions, uh, is there any chance of another yellow matter custard at some time?
0: We'll probably do. I mean, I, I, you know, we did the first uh, round of shows in 2003, then we regrouped and did another few shows in 2011. So I guess it's definitely time. I I, I have so much fun with that. Uh, so yeah, that would be. In fact, there's my there's my yellow matter custard kit right there. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> but uh, yeah, so the kit's kit's sitting there waiting to be used again. But uh, that would be fun. Maybe uh, we'll see one of these days in the in the future. It would definitely be fun to revisit.
1: I love when you and Neil do uh, Beatles trivia. That's it's uh, always yeah. Fun <laughs> so the winery dogs. Uh, this is the third album, obviously, and it's. Um, you know, this is the first album since 2015. Uh, Richie had made an announcement that the band was uh, going to take a break. And was that just necessary to complete other projects? Uh, what was the break for?
0: I think the success of the first two albums and tours took everybody by surprise. And I think, uh, especially Richie, I don't know if Richie, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't want to speak on his behalf, but my, my perception of it as I think it it became bigger and more demanding than he anticipated. Uh, So I think after two rounds of, you know, albums and tours that lasted three or four years and hundreds of shows, I think it was like, okay, let's just catch our breath and go and do the different things that we all do uh, outside of the winery dogs. And, uh, you know, I think we always knew we would come back together and regroup after a few years. I think uh, it was just a matter of, catching our breath, you know? And, uh, and I think that was a good idea because, you know, when you start doing, you know, album tour, you know, album tour, album tour, album tour, nonstop, it starts to get a little redundant. You start to lose your inspiration. And I think sometimes taking a step back, taking a few years off really ignites the flame and it kind of makes you, you know, miss it. Uh, And it makes it that much more special when you do come back together. You know, I've, I've found that with transatlantic as well. That's why there was always so many years between, uh albums with with transatlantic and i think it worked for the winery dogs as well once we came back together to start this third album it felt very fresh and inspired because it had been a few years that we since we had played and written together
1: mm-hmm. tell me about the writing process how does a song become a winery dog song how does a winery dog song start where does it start does it do you guys fly in parts to each other do you jam how does it work it's got to be the
0: three of us in a room, and all three albums. It was at Richie's house, at at his studios. Uh, first two albums was his older house, and then this latest album was in a, the newer house that he's been in for a few years now. But in any case, it starts with the three of us in a room, just literally whatever comes out, whether it be a guitar part, a bass part, a drum beat. Somebody will throw something on the floor, and then we all react to it. We all join in. We all add to it. We make suggestions try taking it in different places. And all three of us are really open to each other's direction or ideas. I think there's a lot of mutual respect and trust between the three of us. So we just start jamming and piecing it together and arranging the parts, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, solo, you know, and uh, usually within a few hours, we'll have the blueprint and arrangement for the music. And in the case of this third album, once that was done, we'd hit record and get my drums tracked. Right there and then, while it was completely fresh, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in the case of this album, once we had ten or eleven, you know, drum tracks and and song arrangements, it's like okay, and we all went our separate ways. And then Richie would start working on lyrics and vocal melodies and vocals, and you know, working on that process, which in in you know it took several several months for him to, you know, get all that together and in, in a place where he's happy with it. Once that's done. Uh, he'll send the vocals to me and Billy and we'll add our harmonies and backup vocals and I'll add percussion. And that's, you know, that's the process. Uh, you know, the, the writing of the blueprints uh, sometimes, you know, these 10 songs were probably put together within a few weeks of each other, but the whole process took about a year or so by the time okay. everything's written and then mixed and mastered and all that stuff. Yeah.
1: Where did it start? What was the first one you worked on for this, uh, for this record? Uh, the first, first thing we
0: jammed on i think was pharaoh if i'm correct have been the very very first riff that was put on the floor and we jammed on and got the music together i could be wrong i mean i have it right here on my itunes if i looked but the first one uh that richie played vocals to was xanadu which that was the fourth piece of music we were working on uh but it was the first one that like at the end of the night Richie went up to his studio after we had left, and he started working on vocals and melodies. And then the next day, he sh- showed it to me and Billy. And that was the first one that really uh, jumped out with vocals this time around. And and as soon as we knew, heard it with vocals, uh, we knew it was, it was really a winner and uh, knew that it would probably be one of the first singles. And it ended up being...
1: important that people hear these songs because when you if you just look at the track list your first single is xanadu your second is mad world if you're not careful you're thinking rush and you're thinking tears for fears
0: (laughs) i know yeah
1: (laughs) but yeah these are all completely original compositions do you have a favorite track on this record mike one that's more fun to play than the others
0: i i like them all for different reasons you know Mm -hmm. i like uh, you know, stuff like Xanadu and Gaslight is more shreddy and more upbeat, energetic. Rise is like that as well. But uh, I also like, uh, you know, the more uh, improv jamming songs. Like the, the the back end of Pharaoh has this really cool jam, and the middle section of Stars has a pretty cool jam, and the ending of The Red Wine has a jam. And in those cases, we were just kind of improv and and literally jamming. And uh, what you're hearing in the final thing was just us going for it in the moment. Uh, but I can't, I can't really pick a favorite song. They, you know, they're, I would say that about any album I make with any band, you know, they they all mean a lot to you. So, and, and they all kind of provide different, you know, different emotions. Sometimes I like the heavy stuff. Sometimes I like the mellow stuff. Uh, sometimes I like the epics. Sometimes I like the shorter, concise songs. So, you know, it's the cliche to say, but they're all like your children. You really yeah. can't really pick one, you know?
1: Yeah, so it's it's Richie Kotzen on guitar, keyboards, piano, lead vocals; Billy Sheehan on bass and backing vocals, and yourself on drums, percussion, and backing vocals. And th- it's it's a trio. It's a it is a power trio. There's some power here. It's bluesy, but you guys, being who you are, especially you and Billy, it's not quite that simple. There's always these little intricate complexities in the music. You describe winery dogs music to somebody who's familiar with the rest of your catalog but maybe isn't with uh is familiar with the winery dogs
0: well it's it's all about the song i think of of any band i'm a part of i think this band probably has the most quote-unquote accessible songs they're they're shorter than most of the other bands i'm a part of they're more concise there's the sort of songs that you could literally sit uh, you know, around a campfire with an acoustic guitar and play any of these songs. So that's the the first and foremost focus is having something that has hooks and memorable uh parts and and melodies. uh you know, Richie brings so much to the table in that department. Uh, but then on top of it, you know, the icing on the cake is the musicianship that's that's in there. And uh you know, obviously Billy and myself, you know, we try to lay it down and be the foundation as uh, for all these songs, but at the same time, we would want the playing to always be interesting. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like us. It it mm-hmm. doesn't sound, even though the songs may be simple, uh, the playing there's a lot of personality in there, and you could tell it's it's me and it's Billy uh, and it's Richie. You know, when it comes to the musicianship, so that's the thing. It's it's strong songs and hooks sprinkled with with you know great musicianship not to pat ourselves on the back but you know you know we, we we've all been doing this a while and we we know how to play our instruments and uh <laughs> keep it interesting for the yeah. listener you
1: guys have the tour coming up uh starting in february do you know how many dates and countries you're doing here
0: it's still growing even today i just uh, announced a few more shows down in south america so yeah the, the the uh the calendar just keeps expanding and expanding expanding we're starting with a Uh, a u.s leg which will go for almost two months and we don't even make it to the west coast that's how uh you know extended it is we're you know we're playing a lot of places in america i've never even played before and then uh we're going to go down to south america for shows down there in uh, april and may then come back up and in may we're going to do some more u.s shows which haven't been announced yet but that'll get us to the west coast then we have europe in, in june and there's a lot more stuff later in the year that's already on the books, but we haven't announced yet, so that'll be coming soon. But we're going to have more a more extended European run later in the year, uh, as well as Japan and Asia and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's starting in February, and I have stuff on the calendar uh, all the way through Thanksgiving with the band that we just haven't announced yet. But, you know, all that stuff will be coming soon. Wow.
1: All right. Well, to find out more about this, you can go to www.thewinerydogs.com. Check out the Winery Dogs Facebook. They're on Instagram and Twitter, at the Winery Dogs. Mike, what's next for you after the Winery Dogs, or have you even thought that far in advance? I, I,
0: I'm not th- thinking that far in advance. We're, <laughs> we're all really focused on this. But, I mean, there are things, uh, you know, for instance, in a few weeks, the live transatlantic uh, package from the last show we did in Paris, that's about to drop.
1: Just want to jump in here real quick to say that transatlantic live package is available now. Back to the interview.
0: Uh, and then there's also uh, an appearance with, of, with Flying Colors uh, on Cruise to the Edge next April 2024. So I guess that's the next thing on the calendar after Winery Jokes, as far as I can see at the moment. But who the hell knows what'll you know what'll <laughs> develop between now and then? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and Neil's always busy too. So oh the- yeah, and actually
0: Neil and I have uh, Morse Fests uh, in August. We're going to do a weekend in America and then a weekend in Europe as well. That'll be in August. Uh, in the midst of all the winery dog stuff. These are just like two uh, one-off appearances that I'm doing with Neil this year.
1: Oh, very cool. Taking the Morse fest uh, experience to Europe. would be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. For the first time, that'll be fun.
1: So the album is called three by the winery dogs released February 3rd. So it's brand new. Go pick it up, go see the winery dogs on tour. I'm planning to go to the Orlando show and uh, buy merchandise and support the band. Mike Portnoy from many bands, Transatlantic, Flying Color, Sons of Apollo, Neil Morse Band, Liquid Tension Experiment, uh, formerly Dream Theater, Adrenaline Mob. uh, Man, so many bands, so many really great bands. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you spending some time telling me a little bit about your background and about uh, this new Winery Dogs album. My pleasure, man. Thank you.
0: I have a Michael's record collection as well. It's over there.